Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. A vigil is planned for a woman after she was attacked in North Hamilton. It was a rather uneventful Canada Day in the nation's capital. There are more calls for the Ford government to repeal Bill 124. Ticats fans frustrated with the team's less than impressive start to the season. We chat with the lead singer of Monster Truck and the greatest superhero movie of all time is... The GMH Podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast on 900 CHML. The Sex Workers Action Program of Hamilton, Swap Hamilton, is going to be holding a vigil for a woman who remains in a hospital after she was viciously attacked by a man in an alleyway near Barton and Emerald Streets. Here to give us some details on what is going to be happening later on this month is Yelena Vermillion, Executive Director of Swap Hamilton. Yelena, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm all right. And yourself? Not too bad. Uh, first and foremost, how is uh, the victim doing? Unfortunately, she's in the same state as before, so she still has broken uh, cheekbones, jaw, and nose. She underwent surgery earlier in the week, and she is still in that coma. So the doctors are not sure whether or not she will regain consciousness, um, and that is one of the main reasons we are hosting this vigil on July 15th at the request of the mother. Um, and the mother will be speaking at that event. I'm sure this has rattled um, people that you work alongside, everyone in the community. Talk about the impact of, of this heinous crime. Um, actually, chillingly, we did have our drop-in this past Saturday from 6 to 9 p.m., and one of our service users um, asked to see the, the broadcast on CHCH um, recently, uh, the interview about uh, the attack, and with the image of the man who was arrested, one of our service users actually said, oh my God, that man cornered me in one of the hotels recently within the last like two months. So it seems that this, this person uh, was allegedly targeting other sex workers in the city and we're just, you know, uh, we're glad that only one person that we know of was attacked um, as opposed to more. So we are responding very um, strongly immediately, and we are very, very happy to see that the community um, has been responding in kind as well. We've received a large amount of donations. I'm actually really happy to announce that we've received over $5,000 in donations for the mother that we'll be dispersing to her at the vigil. Um, That was in 24 hours. We raised over $5,000 for the mother of the victim. So way to go, Hamilton. We really do care. Is there some apprehension among local sex workers to to continue on? Is this just part of the job? I know I I hate to say it, but is that a, a stark reality? No, violence is not an acceptable occupational hazard. It's not ex- an acceptable occupational hazard for sex workers, and it should not be an, o- an acceptable occupational hazard for anybody in any kind of employment. Um, that is exactly why Swap Hamilton exists. We stand up to uh, say no. This stigma and the perpetuation of violence as emboldened by that stigma is unacceptable, and we live in a community in Hamilton of people that care. Um, and especially, you know, specifically in Ward 3, where I think that the population is underserved and underrepresented, and um, there are reasons for that historically, and a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, residents who are impoverished, residents who uh, whose voices are not represented in their community as, as equitably as other voices, and that's what we stand to do in this community, uh, and Swap Hamilton helps to you know, we, we, we strive to bring the community together to speak about these broader issues. So um, as terrible as this, this uh, you know, the victim being attacked is, we do appreciate that his, 
it creates an opportunity for dialogue about how the law needs to be decriminalized in Canada, how people need to be kept safer, because the idea that sex workers are just, you know, expected to endure violence at their work when they are applying their trade, that's not acceptable. And it can be safer, and we start by making it safer by changing the law, by not making people who sell or trade sexual services um, in conflict with the law. That's the first step to, you know, changing um, the, the realities of, of the work for people who do it. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Yanela Vermillion, Executive Director of Swap Hamilton, the Sex Workers Action Program of Hamilton, talking about the recent assaults of uh, a woman who remains in a hospital and a vigil is being planned for later on this month. Give us the details of the vigil. When is it going to be held? Where is it going to go? Absolutely. It's going to be held July 15th from 7 to 9 p.m. It's going to be held in the alleyway where the victim was attacked between the businesses of Daryl Allen Salon and Salumaria. Um, I've actually reached out to both business owners. Um, I tried to speak directly to the owner of Daryl Allen Salon. I wasn't able to catch them, but I left a voicemail. I've uh, emailed Salumaria. I've actually met with the business owner of Salumaria and shook his hand. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of community involvement. We hope as many people will show up as possible. There's also going to be a musical um, appearance by Lee Reed uh, at the event. And, yeah, we, we really um, we are looking forward to the opportunity to, to have the mother speak. Um, this is something that she is, you know, she, it's at her request, as, you know, I want to reiterate. So we're, we're really we're doing this for the mother. We're doing this to show that we care. And we're doing this to, to, to rebuke the violence that is um, visited upon sex workers' bodies often. Uh, we, we will not allow um, serial violence to incur in our, our community, at least without being criticized. That's going to be a very powerful vigil, and uh, we offer nothing but support, and uh, hopefully the individual in the hospital can recover and uh, recover quickly. Elena, thank you for the time today, and uh, good luck with the vigil later on this month. Thank you so very much. Have yourself a wonderful day, and thank you for having us again. Yelena Vermillion, Executive Director, Swap Hamilton. That uh, vigil again goes Friday, July 15th, 7 to 9 p.m., and it is going to be in the alleyway, right, on Barton Street East. Uh, it's near uh, Emeralds Street North. Um, the location, uh, I'm sure, at the time, especially for the mom of the victim, is going to be uh, rather um, chilling as it happened right there. And uh, let's hope that this individual does uh, recover quickly. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Every time we see the maple leaf, let's remember the values that it stands for. Compassion, hope, and responsibility. Justice, openness, and hard work. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, part of his Canada Day address in Ottawa on Fridays. The nation celebrated its 155th birthday and did so, at least in the capital, relatively peacefully. Canada Day in Ottawa included freedom protesters, counter-protesters, and simple holiday revelers. And as I said, uh, the peace was kept more often than not. Stephanie Carvin is an associate professor of international relations at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University, a former national security analyst with CSIS and author of the new book, Stand on Guard, Reassessing Threats to Canada's National Security. Stephanie, good morning. How are you? 
Good morning. Um, good, good. It gets back to work, I guess, <laughs> after a long weekend. <laughs> yeah. You know, as, as much as professors work, we'll go with that. I had a blast reading your Canada Day updates on Twitter. By the way, anyone who wants to give Stephanie a follow, at Stephanie Carvin on Twitter. What caught your eye over the weekend? So probably the biggest thing was really the there's a tension, I think, emerging within the group. And it's early days, right? So I don't want to draw sweeping conclusions, but... Um, what was interesting is that there was a very, very, very robust police presence in Ottawa uh, throughout the weekend, really even just leading up to uh, the, the weekend as well. And uh, they were not there for the shenanigans this time. Um, in February, there was a lot of shenanigans. This time, not so much. So, you know, any attempts to um, set up a bouncy castle or ta- even table uh, were shut down pretty quickly by, by the authorities. And the result was that uh, a lot of the protesters who otherwise have very kind of pro-police, back-of-the-blue kind of views are increasingly frustrated and upset with the police, right? Um, you know, I saw some saying you can only um, follow orders for so long. So what's interesting here is that in February, whereas, you know, there was some speculation that the police were actually on their side and they didn't really want to get rid of the, the protests and, and all these things, that, that this time the police were not on their side and that, uh, you know, there was a definite change in tone um, um, within the, the protest movement itself. It, it, it was clear, there's no doubt, that the city of Ottawa, Ottawa police, other police officers who were there were much better prepared this time around. And it certainly helped that the Parliament Hill grounds and most of the downtown was cordoned off, as, at least to vehicular traffic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So, yeah, you could not. I think they towed away something like several hundred cars. Uh, But uh, uh, I I suspect not all of those were were convoy cars, just but they were just taking no chances. I don't even I think crossing the bridges was difficult. Uh, you know, if you wanted to get on the hill, you had to go through a metal detector. So, yeah, no, they, they, they were taking it uh, very, very seriously because they just didn't want to see uh, another kind of repeat of, of what happened. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Stephanie Carvin, Associate Professor of International Relations at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University, former National Security Analyst with CSIS and author of the new book Stand on Guard, Reassessing Threats to Canada's National Security. Any guesstimate on the policing price tag? Are we talking in the (laughs) tens of millions of dollars? I, you know, that's a great question. I, I don't have the the answer to that. I can tell you that they had, they, they weren't really sparing expenses, right? I don't think this was as costly as what had happened in February or certainly the uh, eventual cost of the removal of that particular protest. But uh, yeah, there's no question this will have run in the millions of dollars if only because of the overtime required um, you know, just just by you know, I would imagine you probably have a lighter uh, presence, for example, if even just the parliamentary police services on on the weekends because you don't have as much parliamentary business. But yeah, no, it was it was uh, it was all hands on deck uh, for sure. So yeah, it would it would not surprise me if it was in the millions of dollars. Now that being said, like uh, you know, for a number of years now, Ottawa has been trying to lock down. Uh, security for the Canada Day, and this this predates COVID. Uh, there were a number of you know security concerns back in the day. People were worried that the Islamic State, for example, might conduct some kind of vehicle ramming attack. I remember in 
you know, 20, uh, 2016, 2017, doing interviews on that because everyone was really worried that there could be some kind of violent extremist attack like we've been seeing in Europe. And, and you know, we, you know, the security adapted then, right? Um, and that cost a, a lot of money, a lot of security. So this isn't like a totally new thing. But uh, I think because of what happened in February, there was probably just a lot more attention and focus and a lot more pressure on police to ensure that, you know, the citizens of Ottawa uh, were... Uh, you know, uh, not honked uh, out of their minds as they were uh, a few months ago. <laughs> uh, there was also a video over the weekend of federal conservative leadership candidate Pierre Poiliev marching with some of the so-called freedom protesters. Um, what do you read into that? Yeah. Um, it, it was an interesting move. And I guess what's so interesting about it to me is that, uh, uh, the you know, there was this march. There's an individual, James Topp, who uh, decided to march across Canada to protest. I don't know, he said it wasn't an anti-mandate. He was just—he's just upset about something, I guess, and wants to redistribute power uh, back to Canadians, I guess. Uh, although I don't think he's ever really specified a plan to do that. So he's been marching across uh, Canada, um, and what, what's concerning about it is that the people he has affiliated with, right? He himself kind of comports to be this, you know, veteran, this reservist who's, uh, by the way, he, I, I don't think he lost his place for not getting a vaccine. I think he uh, was disciplined because he spoke out publicly while in uniform, uh-huh. right? So that, that I think, was the bigger issue for, for the kind of discipline that he's under and what kind of provoked this march. Um, but he's been on some fairly extremist podcasts, right? Um, he's been on the Platt Army podcast uh, or video um, on on David channel on YouTube and Platt Army is is kind of the media wing of what you would call the the kind of diagonal movement. This was the movement, of course, that uh, where members were arrested in Coots, Alberta, for uh, attempting or or apparently seeking to kill twelve members of the RCMP, and have been associated with extremist views um, uh, for a very long time. So I think that was an odd choice. Uh, as well, this weekend, uh, Mr. Top decided to spend it with Rick Hillier, the uh, fairly controversial former Ontario MPP who's now facing charges for his for what he did in in Ottawa back in February. So um, this is what I don't. I mean, I, I strongly suspect there was a lot of pressure within the conservative movement or conservative party to at least acknowledge Mr. Top. And so, you know, I think he did the bare minimum thing, which was to walk with him for like I think 15 minutes. But I mean, Bernier was there. Uh, Maxine Bernier, the leader of the People Party of Canada, People Party of Canada was all over that protest the whole time. This is someone who, you know, uh, seems to be looking for a new kind of politics, but is definitely uh, appearing solely on kind of fringe media. He won't talk to the mainstream press. So for Pierre Polyev to go and speak with this person was, it was a choice. Um, And I think it will send, you know, it may appease some people within uh, you know, the conservative leadership race, and, and he may feel that he that, that helps solidify it. But for others, it's, it, it could be ammunition uh, down the road, right? Um, because, it's, like I said, this is a movement that definitely, you know, I watched it all weekend. They were saying very, um, you know, it, you, they, they, a lot of them were expelling views that were extremist, conspiracy theories, theories about the World Economic Forum, uh, George Soros conspiracy theories, which are widely understood to be as anti-Semitic. This was not a good idea, in my view, um, but uh, others may feel differently. Stephanie, always appreciate your time. Thanks for chiming in today and enjoy the rest of your week.
Hey, thanks for having me on. That is Stephanie Carvin, Associate Professor of International Relations at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University, former National Security Analyst for CSIS, and she's got a new book out. Check it out in your online bookstore, Stand on Guard, Reassessing Threats to Canada's National Security. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, the provincial election campaign has come and gone. The Ford progressive conservatives are in power, and very much so, with an even larger majority government. And so the campaign to have Bill 124, you've heard about this from time to time, the campaign to have that bill repealed has been renewed. What are the odds that it will be repealed? Fred Hahn is the president of CUPE Ontario and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Fred, good morning. How are you? I'm good. Good morning, Rick. Before we get into whether or not it's going to be repealed. Give us the 411 on Bill 124. What is it about? Well, it's a piece of legislation that, uh, well, behold, violates the Charter of Rights. It, it caps wages and benefits for public sector workers at 1%. And so this was always a problem. It was always, uh, you know, um, violating folks' rights to free collective bargaining. But now that inflation is at 7.7%, a 1% wage cap, equates to wage theft. Uh, Broader public sector workers are having their wages artificially held down by law. And so now is the time to repeal Bill 124. The Premier said, just after being elected, that he understands about inflation, that he wants to be fair uh, with, with folks. The very first step in being fair is to repeal this abhorrent law. I would imagine that nurses, PSWs, other healthcare professionals are fed up with this. Well, in fact, all of our hospital members, uh, so PSWs and uh, registered practical nurses, all of the folks who work in, in hospitals and healthcare are all in collective bargaining right now. And so they would be subject to this. But Bill 124 impacts social service workers, developmental service workers, and child care workers. It impacts folks who work at universities. It's quite broad. Uh, there are at least 1.3 million workers in the broader public sector who are impacted by Bill 124. That's one in six Ontario workers. So why won't the government repeal it? What what reason have they or reasoning have they given? Well, they haven't yet given a reason. <laughs> uh, they um, they introduced the bill. Uh, we started a challenge to it legally. There's a coalition of over 70 different associations and unions who are challenging it in court. But as you know, those kind of court challenges can take an incredible amount of time. Uh, and now uh, it's quite clear uh, if the premier and the minister of finance are saying that they understand the circumstances that are there for all of us today, that inflation is eating away at people's uh, incomes. It's just simply untenable to imagine when inflation's at 7%, imagine it stays at 7% for the next three years, and yet somebody could only get a 3% wage increase against 21% cost rising cost of living. It would be an untenable situation. It's why we've started this campaign to restart this campaign to have Bill 124 repealed. Fred Hahn is the president of QP Ontario, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. I would imagine that the Ford government is looking at this bill as cost certainty for the government. They know where these wages are going to stand for, well, I guess the next several years or however long this bill remains in place. 
Well, it's based, I mean, the thing about this legislation, Bill 124, is that it's based in a fantasy. It imagines that somehow workers' wages are the problem when it comes to, you know, balancing the books. Uh, When we know that, you know, massive, like there are massive corporate giveaways and subsidies to corporations that, in fact, we have artificially low uh, taxes for very profitable corporations, there are all kinds of ways to deal with this instead of negatively impacting the very people uh, who not only got us through the pandemic, but, you know, uh, provide the services that we all rely on. You mentioned you know, part of the pandemic, and this is the first thing I thought of, is, uh, you know, these these PSWs, nurses, the healthcare workers are already burnt out and have been for many, many months, and they're only able to realize a 1% wage spike uh, per year. That seems criminal to me. Well, you know, we're seeing this in so many different places, but there is a staffing crisis, particularly in healthcare, uh, in long-term care, uh, but this is also happening in social services, in developmental services. When people's wages are all started already to be, you know, low, you know, they, uh, many of our members make about forty grand a year. These aren't like hugely well-paid jobs, and when you're when your wage is held back artificially by law, at some point people have to make choices uh, just to keep their own families going, not to mention the kind of stress that's happened. Look, these services matter to all of us. The government has a responsibility to make sure that we have health and education and social services provided uh, in our communities, and that means treating those workers with respect. You can't do that with a law that artificially holds back their wages. I can't imagine too many high school students or those looking at post-secondary education thinking, I'm going to get into healthcare or one of these other uh, sectors that is impacted by Bill 124. I just I just don't see the allure once they do a little bit of homework. Uh, we have to leave it there, Fred. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. I want to encourage people to go to qp.on.ca slash repeal Bill 124. They can send a message directly to the Premier and to their MPP. Uh, we need all of us working together to help to convince the Ford Conservatives to do the right thing. Good luck, Fred. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. That's Fred Hahn, president of QP Ontario. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I'm a 10-year-old and, you know, a father here. Uh, that was one of the poorest games we have seen in a long time. That was the most boring, offensive sort of put-together or plan I've ever seen. I mean, it was readable. It was terrible to watch. That is the voice of Ken, and uh, along with his son Dylan, who called into the fifth quarter after the Tiger Cats lost to Edmonton on Friday after their Canada Day clash, which left the Tabbies in dead last in the CFL as they've started the 2022 season 0 and 4. Here to break it all down is RJ Broadhead, the play by play announcer for the Hamilton Tiger Cats on the Tiger Cats Audio Network, which you can hear right here on 900 CHM. RJ, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Yes, yeah, 0-4. Not the start any of us has predicted, I don't think. Not at all. I, I can't say one person, a football fan or otherwise, who would say, yeah, those Ticats who went to back-to-back Grey Cups would start 2022 0-4. Uh, a lot of the fans who called in on the fifth quarter after the game on Friday pointed the finger at Tommy Condell, Dane Evans, bad game plan, no leadership, second-half adjustments. Can you put a finger on what has gone bad with this team? You know, it's... It, 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 
all those things. The fans know. The fans see it. It's all right there. The statistics don't lie. Um, and it's a, it's a recurring thing. These these second half collapses are an absolute mystery. The the players are aware of it. It it, it can't be a conditioning thing, but is it the other team making adjustments and the Tiger Cats not adjusting to those changes? It's it's extremely confusing. Too many turnovers, no doubt about that. And the timing of them, Rick, has been awful. You look at 15 turnovers, which. Tiger Cats had 20 turnovers in all of the 14-game season in 2021. They're already at 15. 13 of those have come in the second half. And if you go back to game one of the season against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Hamilton turned the ball over on their very first two possessions. So those are their only turnovers in the opening half all season long. 13 in the second half, including nine in the fourth quarter. So why this is happening, it's... It's a fixable thing. They can't turn the ball over. They were able to fix it last year, and they're giving up points off those turnovers. 44% of the opponent's points have, have come off of, off of turnovers this year. So it has to be fixed. It has not been an exciting offense. Uh, the clip you played before our interview here, Rick, was, was right. It was not an exciting offensive game for the Tiger Cats, and, and they, they couldn't move the ball. They couldn't score, and it cost them. Ticats are on their bye week now. They don't play until July 16th when they uh, host the Ottawa Red Blacks. Usually, you know, things are going awry and there's a bye. Uh, sometimes changes will be made. Would you be surprised if any sort of change is made here? I'd be surprised if there weren't changes. I, I think uh, you're bang on there, Rick. There, there are going to be some changes. I, I don't know what as of yet those changes will be. I assume we'll see some players come off the practice roster. Uh, Anthony Johnson is there, Emmanuel Butler, a a big, uh, tall receiver. I'm not saying they will be the changes, but they've been biding their time on the practice roster, and something has to to change offensively. So will they be the spark? Braylon Addison, how healthy is he? I know he was banged up uh, game-time decision before the Winnipeg game and was used sparingly in that game, but then wasn't used, in my opinion, probably enough against Edmonton. Um, Tim White was strong again. Stephen Dunbar gets the touchdowns. But to me, Braylon Addison has to be a significant part of the offense. He doesn't have a touchdown yet this year. And I I think the changes will predominantly come on, on offense because the defense has been strong and special teams, uh, I, I think, has been outstanding. You can't ask for for much more from the special teams. Great tackling. Uh, Michael Damagala, multiple field goals every game. Had some misses, but they're, they're tough misses from long distances. And Simon Larrier's come in and has punted very well. So, to me, it's it's the offensive side that needs some fixing. Yeah, you can add uh, Lawrence Woods to the checkmark uh, column yeah. on special teams as well. Great uh, kick return for a touchdown on Friday. R.J. Broadhead is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. R.J. is the play-by-play announcer with the Hamilton Ticats and the Ticats Audio Network. If there's one saving grace for Hamilton, it's that Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa are also very bad. They're a combined 2-7. and seven. Could be 2-8 and eight if the Argos lose tonight versus Winnipeg. So the sky isn't completely fallen. No, not at all. And I, I kind of smiled to myself when you were doing the, the introduction saying Hamilton is in dead last, which is a fact. No win, zero and four. We know that. But they're also one win out of first place in the East Division. 
So as as poor as this start has been for Hamilton's record, there's a lot of time and opportunity. Nobody's run away with this East Division yet, so it's all been West Division opponents, which isn't catastrophic losing those games at this point for the Tiger Cats, but you mentioned the Ottawa game. That's a first divisional game. We know there's a few former Tiger Cats on the, the Red Black, so that'll be a bit of a, a rivalry game, but it's we're getting close to, to must-win territory. You can't can't continue to to lose games and and ask other teams for help. That's that's really what's kept the Tiger Cats in it. No other team has has been able to win, and you don't want to put yourself in that situation for very long where you're relying on other teams. Ticats will have to make hay soon because eight of their next nine games are against Eastern opponents, including their next one July 16th at home against Jeremiah Masoli and the Red Blacks. RJ, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll hear from you in a couple of weeks as the Ticats uh, face off against Ottawa. Sounds good, Rick, and hopefully next time we chat, it's about a winning streak that the Tiger Cats are on. Hope so, too. RJ Broadhead, play-by-play announcer, Hamilton Ticats with the Ticats Audio Network. You can hear each and every game right here on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Pleased to be joined by a Juno Award winner. He is the lead singer of the rock band Monster Truck right from here in Hamilton. His name is John Harvey. John, good morning. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me. You guys have just released a kick-ass song called Golden Woman, the first song since signing with BMG Canada. Uh, this I, I've been listening to it the past couple days. It's certifiable monster truck. There's no mistake in that. It packs a punch. It hits you in the mouth right between the eyes. Like, dude, this song rocks. Oh, thanks so much. It was uh, it was really fun to write, and the whole process of it was actually a joy. So it's really nice that it, it, it translated so well, and so many people are enjoying it. Did the pandemic shape how the song was written or composed? I think a lot of the it actually did. To be honest with you, uh, it's about my partner Samara, who's just a gem, and I just love her. So uh, we were together for the whole. We locked down together, and we were quarantined the whole time. So. Um, it's, it was just an uh, expression of joy for being so lucky to have someone uh, to spend such a great time with. And, uh, and and it did basically come out of a garage sale guitar that uh, my father bought for my son. And uh, it just it just came, like I said, it was a joy and it came together so easily. Listening to the song and, and looking at the lyrics, I'm thinking, is this a real woman or is it somebody else? And turns out it's, it's real. Yeah, she's real. She's right here. <laughs> What was like locked down with her and, you know, thinking about, you know, you're, you're a musician, you got creative juices flowing. What was the process like? I think um, while I was locked down, I did a lot of different things because I just couldn't turn off my brain. And when you don't have anywhere, it, it sounds dumb, but uh, the one value of social media is to be able for creatives to just get their stuff out of here, you know, because a lot of people have completion things and that's what I have. So I did like a a million different things and we wrote this song ages ago and uh it it didn't get recorded forever didn't get released forever so it was it was kind of like um just another thing on the pile and then now finally it's been released and 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 it feels completed and, and it's like a it's a it's a relief to finally be done with all the uh the the covid and just sitting around yeah i think most people don't realize how much work goes into making just one song let alone an album yeah, well, I mean, everything's a process. And for me, if I get it right the first time, that is a glorious win the lottery moment. 
I'll put it that way. So it's usually about 10 or 15 tries at say vocals or, 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 or verses or things like that. And you know, you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about things. So not to say I'm tortured, but it's an ongoing process. <laughs> so would golden woman fall under that uh, jackpot kind of feeling? I think so. It came very fast. The lyrics were super easy. Um, I, I, once in a while you strike gold, right? Yeah. And I think that's kind of the allure of the song. It's, it's simple yet. It paints a picture. It's rock'em sock'em. It's fun. It's upbeat. It's fast paced. It, it really gets you moving. Yeah. I feel like it, it, we try to keep everything as positive as possible because we're just those kind of people. We're not really feel like dwelling on the, on the, on the weird uh, negativities of the world. So this song was kind of like our expression of just like, get out there, have fun, have a party, you know, enjoy this fun song about it, you know, uh, uh, about some dude's girlfriend and, and, and just like, you know, crack a beer and have a good time. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's called Golden Woman. And we are speaking with John Harvey, the lead singer of Juno award winning, winning rock band monster truck here on good morning, Hamilton on 900 CHML. Um, when are we going to hear more stuff from monster truck? Cause now, I mean, you've just whetted the appetite again. Yeah, we hear that a lot. But uh, we just we released a new song uh, last week called Get My Things and Go. Um, and that one's just kind of starting to to gain the same kind of traction that Golden Woman did. And then uh, we'll have a, a full album in the fall. Uh, we're, we're not sure when the release date is, but it's coming. So is that album done? Or are you still kind of, uh, you know, putting the finer touches on it? It's been done for almost a year because oh, wow. we recorded it off and on during the pandemic. Like whenever they would lift the lockdown restrictions to 10 people, we'd be in the studio. <laughs> and uh, seriously, we'd be like, okay, we can work. But we, we go in and, and, and we do it. We retail a bunch of things. So we really took our time crafting something that we're really proud of. So uh, we didn't want to release it before we could tour. So finally, now that uh, we're able to go out and we're able to play shows again and things are, are, are sort of uh, returning to normalcy, it's like, uh, refreshing and, and great to be able to put this piece of art that we've been sitting on for two years out. Yeah, I'd imagine, you know, getting back before live audiences, you got a greater appreciation, or at least maybe, I'm not going to say you took it for granted in the past, but I think that that return to normal is really a breath of fresh air. Absolutely. And I will 100% say I took it for granted in the past. Like, I, I thought this is my job. I was getting bored of it and stuff. I would, I, you know, you'd be like, I don't want to be on the road. But now, every time I get on stage, I just think, like, Whatever. I thank I thank the energy around me for for allowing me to be able to do that and to, to be able to enjoy that visceral experience with people again, who just want to have a good time. It's so refreshing. It's like jumping into a pool. Well, I'm sure your large fan base uh, thinks the same as well, and is happy to hear more new music coming from Monster Truck. Not only the past couple of weeks, but uh, this fall as well with a new album. John, awesome time chatting with you. Good luck with the album when it does come out, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Amazing. Thanks so much. And it's John Harvey, lead singer, Monster Truck. And what a great song that is, Golden Woman. And yes, it's about a real-life person. That's kind of cool. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I'm Lois Lane. I'm a reporter on the Metropolis Daily Planet. Isn't this going a little far just to get a story, Miss Lane? Thanks to you, Superman, we've got it. Rolling Stone releasing its list of the greatest superhero films of all time. Social media, however, as it usually does, is divided about the top ten. Here to talk about it is Walter Duralia, the president of Big B Comics. Walter, good morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Why do we love superhero movies so much? 
Oh, pure escapism and um, and great entertainment too. But um, yeah, just uh, it's really good storytelling. Comics or sequential art is always a great way to tell a story, and then they're ready-made storyboards for the films. Being a comic guy, when you're watching a superhero movie in the theater or at home, whether it's on Netflix or whatnot, do you get that same feeling, or is it different reading a comic? You know what? You know how they say it's always the book's always better. <laughs> yeah, that's not necessarily always the case with 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 comics. I don't know. I think the just the you know over since Marvel really started doing their thing, what back in '08 with the Marvel Cinematic Universe and stuff, uh, that succeeded everybody's expectations on on, on what. Just, just the excitement it's generating for the moviegoers, and uh, no, I, I say the books are different, but they're both really, really good. Mm-hmm. I always say that the villains are just as appealing as the superhero. For every, you know, Superman and, and Spider Man or Black Panther, there's you know, Lex Luthor, the Joker, Thanos. We love to hate the bad guys. Oh, absolutely, and and the superhero is measured. Uh, you know, against his or hers rogues gallery, against their villains. You know, the Spider-Man and Batman are probably the two that come to mind that have the best array of villains. And, and um, you know, and it's not, no accident that Spider-Man and Batman are the most popular in pop culture right now because their villains are, are the best. So, Walter Duralia is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Walter is the president of Big B Comics. We're talking about Rolling Stone magazine out with its 50 greatest superhero films of all time. Number one on the list is Black Panther. Your thoughts on that? I mean, I like Black Panther. It wasn't number one on my list, but uh, that's the beauty of lists, right? Um, Great movie, um, but... Everybody's personal preference. I, I skew toward my number one on my list of all time is that Superman one from 1978. Oh wow! Okay, the very first one. I think would that make number five or something? Yeah, uh, the 1978 Superman is fifth on Rolling Stone's list. Avengers Endgame was fourth. Logan, yeah. which is about the last days of Wolverine, is third. Spider-Man yeah. 2 is second, and Black Panther is number one. Uh, all so, great films. Yeah, all fantastic films. And really, when you look at the top 50, I mean, there were kind of, you know, there was one or two I thought, mm, I don't know if it's in the top 50, but there's a lot of great superhero movies out there. Yeah, and it, again, it's personal preference. It's, it's, it's what you like. It's what, what they deliver. I like the comedy ones. Like I like the ones that don't take themselves as seriously. That's why I like that Superman. It was very kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek. And, 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 you know, I don't know. There was just that element of, of fun to it. Um, same as the Thor Ragnarok. I like that better than the, the other Thors. The, the other Thors were great, too, but they were more serious. And then I liked... Um, I like, I like, I don't know, I guess, I guess I like to laugh, I guess. Yeah, adding, adding the comedic part to it, I think, opens up to a bigger audience, right? Whether it's Deadpool, Guardians of the Galaxy, the, 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 even the next Thor movie, which looks like it has a lot of comedy to it, really widens that audience. Yeah, you're right, you're right. And I forgot about Guardians of the Galaxy. I love that one, too. That would be up near the top, because that one made me laugh as well. And, um, and, and that's why I gravitated, I think, as a kid towards Spider-Man. 
because all of his quips, you know, kind of like Deadpool, like yeah. all of his, as he's fighting a villain, he's throwing wisecracks in, and, and it's just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Again, I like to laugh, so. Well, if you want uh, more superhero fun or villain fun, head out to Big B Comics. They have a wide array of, uh, obviously, comics, uh, things to put on your shelf and, and tell stories about. Walter, appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us, and best of luck going forward to Big B. Thank you very much. Thanks. That's Walter Dralia, president of Big B Comics. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you... You rate and review.